If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. As you turn there, let me ask you a question. Do you like it when your plans change? Some of you are probably thinking, what are plans? Over the last couple of weeks, my plans have changed in the coming weeks with our messages. Um, I told you a few weeks ago that I would spend a couple of weeks in discipleship, a couple of weeks on prayer, and a couple of weeks on hail. Well, um, that has changed. I'm going to spend the month of May on discipleship, so that's more than a couple of weeks, and then Starting in June through the summer, all the way through the fall, I am going to uh, be preaching on, unless plans change again, um, what I've entitled the bookends of time. We're going to look at the first six chapters of Genesis, and then we're going to look at the whole book of Revelation. Okay, the first six chapters in Genesis, we'll take it through the flood actually, and then we will look at all of the book of Revelation. So um, that's where we're going this morning. We are looking at discipleship and as I've entitled it, foundational discipleship. Um, What is at the foundation? What's at the very core of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 down through verse 25, we see Jesus picking out some of his disciples. And here's what Matthew records for us. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men immediately they left their nets and followed him and going on from there he saw two other brothers James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee And the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I ask that you would allow our ears to hear what it means to be a disciple. 
as we read different passages, Old Testament and New Testament. Would you allow our eyes to see, not just ink on a page, but would you allow our eyes to see what it means to be a disciple? Lord, we have a a thought of what it means. More than likely, we have what the areas are that we like possibly about being a disciple. But Father, would you show us what it means from your word to be a disciple. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So if we're going to look at the foundation, if we're going to look at the core of what it means to be a disciple, first I believe that we need to define what it is to be a disciple. What is the definition of disciple? Jesus said there in chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 19, and he said to them, follow me. And I will make you something. Follow me and I will make you something. The word disciple, as Francis Chan in his book Multiply states, the word disciple refers to a student or an apprentice. Disciples in Jesus' day would follow their rabbi, which means teacher, wherever he went. Learning from the rabbi's teaching and being trained to do as the rabbi did. Basically... Chan states, a disciple is a follower, but only if we take the term follower literally. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is as simple as obeying his call to follow. When Jesus called his first disciples, they may not have understood where Jesus would take them or the impact it would have on their lives, but they knew what it meant to follow. They took Jesus' call literally and began going everywhere he went and doing everything he did. It's impossible, Chan states, it's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up looking like that person. Literally, being a disciple is being one that follows. We have that in our culture today. That we call it an apprenticeship. Every school of trade has that, from that of dentistry to doctors to carpenters to uh, any other level of, of trade. There are those that are mastered at a skill, and then there are those that are learning the skill. And Wherever you are in the workplace, there is somebody there that says, all right, hey, here's how you do this. Why do they know that? Because they've done it before. And they're saying, hey, why don't you come alongside of me and you follow me and learn how I do this, learn how to do this, and then you can go out and do just that. 
Jesus, walking along the Sea of Galilee one day, looks at two guys, two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and he says, hey, follow me. I've had the opportunity to walk along the Sea of Galilee where this more than likely took place. I've had the opportunity to just sit there and and read the passage and think about this and I want you to think about it. Here you are, an adult. Got your life all planned out because you're there in a boat doing something that you were trained to do, doing something that you enjoy to do, doing something that is your job, your livelihood for your family. And this guy walks by. You've never seen him before in your life. And he points at you and says, follow me. How big of a wave is rocking your boat right then? Follow me. Sir, I don't know who in the world you are. Follow me. Follow me. And here's what I will teach you. I will teach you to be a fisher of men. Simon and Andrew. They put down their nets and immediately they follow him. A little further down, he comes to two other brothers and their father is in the boat with them, Zebedee, and he says, follow me. And immediately, they left their father, they left their their nets, and they followed him. It would be ludicrous. It would be silly. It would be unfathomable to believe that a follower, a disciple of someone would be a person who would say, yes, I will be your disciple, I will follow you, but not turn out to look like the person they following. In the church today, we have those that teach, and I teach, that there is a moment of justification. There was a moment before you believed that you were saved. There was a moment that you believed, and that moment is called justification, that God looked at you just as if you had never sinned. Why? Because you put your faith, you put your hope, you put your belief, your trust in Jesus. And from that moment forward, you are saved. Then there is this teaching that I understand and I see in Scripture that is that of sanctification. From the moment that you're saved to the moment that you or I die, we are to be growing closer and closer to Jesus. And at the moment of death, we will be changed. We will be glorified. Those are the three aspects of salvation. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. 
what we tend to think or what we tend to believe is this, that we're going along in life and there's some valleys spiritually that we, you know, kind of just turn away from God. There's some, some peaks that we turn toward God. There's some long pauses that we just stay right where we are and we're just comfortable right where we are. Go back down a little bit, come back up a little bit, and then when we die, we're going to be turning just like him. There's some passages in Scripture. When you read them, when I read them, we're like, yeah, let's, let's, let's take some of that. Let's take some of that love that he has for us. Let's take some of that, oh, I'm so grateful that he's faithful. I'm so grateful that he is forgiving. I, I'm even grateful that he is a God of wrath against those that are evil. But Lord, you want me to love you more than I love my mom? You want me to love you more than I love my dad? More than I love my kids? You want me to deny myself of the things that I want in life? Let's just push that one down the road a little bit. I'm not there yet. A disciple is one who looks like the teacher. Looks like the rabbi, looks like the master, looks like the Lord. Spiritually speaking, whoever says to Jesus, I want, to be, I want you to be my Savior, he also becomes our Lord. Whoever says or has the desire to have him rule or reign in them for all eternity, is stating, I want you to rule and reign today. Some of you here don't know what it means for Jesus to rule and reign in them. And therefore, you might not fully grasp what it means to be a Christian. But everyone who believes in Him and comes to know Him, to experience Him, is called to follow Him. If He's going to be your Savior, if He's going to be my Savior, for all eternity, then you and I must have Him to be our Lord and our Savior for. Today. Let me give you an example. If you have your Bibles, turn back to the book of Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Second point this morning is this. Disciples surrendered themselves to someone else. Joshua chapter 5. What a great story unfolds in Joshua 5 and Joshua 6. It's the story of Jericho and 
Joshua leading the children of Israel against that great city. At the time, it was the greatest fortified city in all the world. Joshua and the children of Israel have just crossed the Jordan into Canaan. God is leading them there and they have consecrated themselves back to the Father. If you were to read the first 12 verses of chapter 5, you would see them coming back to the Father. The men have been circumcised and now they set their face toward Jericho. Let me read for us verse 13 down through verse 15. Think about these verses. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? Or for our adversaries? And he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, guys, this is a passage for you. I mean, Joshua was a man's man. You, you've got to realize that Joshua had hair on his chest and his back. I mean, he was a man. Okay? He, he was. And, and here is one of the ways that we know Joshua was a man. It, it literally states that Joshua was alone by Jericho. Jericho is the greatest fortified city in the world at the time. Just told you that. And he is there and he is alone and he is just thinking, how in the world? All right, God, you have told us that we're going to come in here and we're going to conquer this. He is the leader of two million plus people. Most of the times when those generals and the leaders of two million plus are going into battle, they're not right there at the front lines, but Joshua's there and he's there alone. Then we see that he is a man's man because he sees a man with his sword drawn. I would run the other direction. And he goes up to him and he says, Hey, are you with us or are you with our adversaries? Are, are, are you on my side? Are you with them inside the walls? And the man with his sword drawn, with his sword drawn, says, no. Wrong question, Joshua. The question isn't, am I on your side or on their side? The question is, I am the leader, the commander of the armies of the Lord. Whose side are you on? As soon as Joshua 
heard that, he fell on his face and worshipped. As soon as he heard those words, and this is what theologians call a theophany, there's your 25 cent term for the day, but it is a theophany where the pre-incarnate Christ shows up in human form and he speaks and he acts and Joshua falls on his face and he worships because he knows whose presence he is in. When Joshua understands who it is, he surrenders. This man's man, this this leader of the whole army of Israel, when he understands who it is that is talking to him and who he is in the presence of, he surrenders. I believe we have a couple of problems in our lives today. First and foremost, we don't understand in totality as much as we can, as much as we need to, who Jesus is. We we don't understand who Jesus is. Joshua came into contact with Jesus and he surrendered. He surrendered his will. He surrendered his life. He bowed down and worshipped Him. Why? Because He saw Him for who He is. Yesterday, the ladies had a um, brunch. And they were pretty much all surprised because um, they stayed out in the foyer for just a little while. And uh, they had a uh, lesson that was out there. They had food that was out there. And they, for the most part, they didn't know what was going on in here and what was going to take place in here because in here there was a feast and their pastor was going to serve them. No, there were some men, I didn't serve them, uh, I just asked them what, what they wanted to drink, one of the tables, I just asked them what they wanted to drink. But there were some men in here who were serving them. And what was it? It was a, a picture That God always gives more. And to come into his presence and receive more. And at the end of it, there's 27 ladies um, in here. And on the screen were the words of a song by Lincoln Brewster. And uh, they sang this song as Lincoln sang as well. That God is amazing. And I was in the back, of, I was in the sound booth, and I was just looking over the, the ladies there as they were worshiping. And I just thought, you know what, he is amazing. If we could ever just grab a hold of who he is, we will fall in worship. Joshua. Joshua saw who he was, and he worshiped. For the most part, I know who I am speaking to this morning. I know who is in the congregation. For the most part, this is not your first time to ever be in a worship service. For the most part, you and I are those who say that we are Christians. 
that we are Christ ends. What does it mean to say or be a Christian? It means that you and I are to be like Christ. One is to look like. One is to act like. One is to smell like. One is to do like. One is to be like Jesus Christ. But I also know, because I am not naive, that some of you here today, you may be trying Christianity on for size. You may be just searching these things out. And that's good. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, here is what it means. It means that you have come to a point in your life where you say, I know what you have for me. I know what you've done for me. I know what you want to do in me and through me is so much more than what I can do for myself. I know that there's a problem And that problem is that I have failed you, the God of all the universe. And I want a right relationship with you. And the only way that I can have a right relationship with you is if I accept you. To be a Christian means that I give you my life. And I want you to lead me. I want you to teach me. I want you to mold me. I want you to shape me. And I will surrender myself to you. But we Americans hate that word. Surrender. Surrendering goes against our whole culture. It goes against our whole nature. It goes against our whole self. We have been reared. We have been um, brainwashed from day one to go after, to chase after the American dream. To go and get all that you can. Go get a wife. Go get a husband. Go get a a house. Go get a a white picket fence. Right now it's 1.7 kids. Go get them. Go get a job. 401k, a hobby, and on and on and on. The statement is pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and get after it. And Jesus says, That's not what I want for you. Jesus says to you and to me, surrender. And I'll fill you. I'll fill you with joy. Surrender. I'll fill you with satisfaction. I'll fill you with wealth. I'll fill you with purpose. I'll fill you with my mission. But you must surrender. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one that follows after him, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is one who surrenders and 
finally this morning, I want us to see that a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who obeys. Our verse for the year, so to speak, has been that of Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. A verse that we all more than likely have heard, at least the first half of it, but one that I have tried to get us to understand and come and grasp the second half of the verse. The first half of the verse states where there is no prophetic vision or where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint or the people perish. Some translations state. But the second half of the verse states, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Blessed is he who keeps God's word. Blessed is he who obeys the word of the Lord. John chapter 13, verses 14 down through verse 17, speaks about obedience. Right after he washed their feet, here's what Jesus said to his disciples. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you. If you do. Three questions and I close. A disciple is one who obeys. Question number one. How do you know what to do? How do you know what he wants you to do? Spend time with Him. Read Scripture. Collection of these 66 books. Read Scripture like it's God talking with you. Because it is God talking with you. He gave you these books. They're His Word. To you. It's not just black ink on a white page. And it's not just something that we have five minutes every morning. And we need to do this. We have to do this. God says here is what I have for you Brian. Here's what I have for you River Bend. Why won't you take me in? Read scripture. Like it's God talking with you. He is speaking to you. Every single word. Every single verse is Him speaking to you. Listen. Pray. He will show you 
if you are sincere, if you are seeking, if you are willing, He will show you. This week, I was taken to my knees as I read a passage of Scripture. And I was reminded afresh and anew of how awesome God is. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 down through verse 3 states, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Some of you here today, spiritually speaking, we are bankrupt. And God says to you and me, come, buy. Even if you don't have money, buy, eat, drink. Everyone who thirsts, come to me and you will be satisfied. How do you know what to do? When are you and I supposed to do it? You and I are supposed to do it when these things that you've come to know after reading, after listening, after conversing, after praying. Then and only then are you supposed to act on those. Not sooner than that and not later than that. Once you know what to do, that's when you and I are to set about doing it. Give me an example. Matthew chapter 6 is what we have looked at in the past as the Lord's Prayer. We saw that a few weeks ago. I'm walking through the Sermon on the Mount with the uh, staff on, in our uh, staff meetings. And uh, we've spent a few weeks in this first 15 to 18 verses of Matthew chapter 6. There's three major portions of that. It first speaks about giving then it speaks about praying, then it speaks about fasting, three things that we at church love or don't love to hear about, all right? Giving. How are we supposed to give? We're supposed to give with everything that we have. We're supposed to give of everything that we have, with everything that we have to Him. Prayer. Not a grocery list, not a, a rote set of words, but it's us crying out to the Father out of our heart, out of a heart of desperation, out of a heart of overjoy. It says when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. That word is one of the most foreign words to American Christianity. Fasting. We like at least five meals a day. At least. And God says, when you fast, Brian, 
John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God, the greatest definition and the greatest thing that I've ever, sentence or two that I've ever heard or read on fasting. He puts it this way. The reason that you and I should fast is that when the world has a grip on you so much and it is seeking to overtake that of God, you fast. Or, when God is so great and so awesome in your life that you fast to have that much more of Him, that is why you and I fast. Once you know what to do, then you set about doing it. Third question as I close. Why? Why do it? Why obey? A number of answers could be given. But I'll give you this. The reason you and I obey Because He is your Master. He is the one that you have bowed the knee to for all eternity. He is the one that you and I are to bow the knee to for Sunday, for Monday, for this week, for every other week. Because your Master, your Lord, your Savior, your Anointed One has said, This is what I need you to do. Here's the example to follow. The servant is never greater than the master nor the messenger. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they followed after me, they'll follow after you. A disciple is one who obeys. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Lord, over the next few weeks, we are going to look at at discipleship. At what a Christian, what What does it mean to be a Christian? What's a Christian look like? How do we live the things that you speak of in your word? How do we live those out in everyday life? Father, more than anything, I pray that today you would You would look at the hearts of these, your people, and they would ask you. And you would answer them, answer us. Am I a Christian? I'm not trying to make anybody doubt. Am I a follower of Christ? Lord, if the answer is yes, 
Would you show me? Would you show us what you want us to be about doing? What are the changes that need to happen in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions? The answer is no. Father, would you show them how great you are, how much you love them, and what you've done for them through your son Jesus. River Bend, the invitation is open for you. For you to obey, for you to come back to Him. The invitation is open for you. If you don't know Him, let me introduce Him to you. As we stand and as we sing, would you respond?